This is Downtown the Podcast. Hello there. Welcome in. From the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine, Rich Kimball and Carrie Haskell with you. Our daily show, Downtown, originates from here every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Downtown can be heard on the Zone Radio stations in Maine, streaming audio at our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com. Our podcast brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Two interesting guests for you on this week's edition of the program. Uh, One, uh, an actress, dancer, and Academy Award-nominated songwriter, along with her husband. And later, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, one of the most successful bands of the 1960s. He was the drummer, and of course, the band bore his name. We're talking about Dave Clark and the Dave Clark Five. We've put together a new collection of their biggest hits that's available remastered on both vinyl and on CDs as well. Dave Clark in the second half of the podcast, but in the first half this week, I don't know, Carrie, we had, uh, we've had a few husband and wife combos on the show through the years. Here and there. They're not a common occurrence, but uh, they do happen. Yeah, we've had, I think, of uh, Mark Duplass and Katie Aselton, uh Bill Daniels and his wife, Bonnie Bartlett. And uh, back in the late summertime, we had Michael McKean on. And this week, we welcome his wife, the very talented Annette O'Toole, who has done a lot over the course of the last four decades in film and in television, and she is busier than ever these days with a couple of television series, Virgin River with her friend Tim Matheson on Netflix. She'll be in the upcoming season two of Kidding on Showtime with Jim Carrey and appeared in a recent episode of The Good Doctor as well. She's also, as mentioned, an Academy Award-nominated songwriter with Michael McKean for A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow, one of the songs that they wrote for the terrific Christopher Guest film A Mighty Wind. And she uh, tells us the story of the creation of uh, some of that music as well. And a very interesting conversation with uh, actress, dancer, singer, songwriter, Annette O'Toole. I'm very happy to be with you, Rich. Thanks for having me. Now, we had your husband, Michael, on uh, last summer, and I'm glad that he was not so scarred by the experience that he (laughs) talked you out of it. Not at all, because I just said to him, I'm going to go talk to Rich Kimmel. He said, I spoke to him not long ago. So he remembered it very well, and he was not scarred at all. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You've got so yeah. much going on. I, I want to talk first about uh, Virgin River. We had Tim Matheson on uh, a couple of months ago, and what a terrific show this is, and, and what a tremendous ensemble they put together. They did. It's a wonderful group of people, and we have a great crew. We shoot up in Vancouver, and uh, I've been in Vancouver a lot. We shot Smallville up there, too, and I've done some TV movies, and, and I did the uh, the miniseries It up there. That was my first experience in Vancouver, so I know it well. I know how to kill time in Vancouver on my days off, and um, it was it's, a, it's a, a really fun show. It's nice to be on something that I go out now to the grocery store, and everybody kind of embraces me. We love the show. We love that we can watch it with our families, and um, it's just such a nice respite from things that are going on in the world that are that are hard to deal with. So, um, I think everybody at this point would like to go to Virgin River and, and live there and uh, be <laughs> calm and quiet and peaceful. <laughs> so, but it, it's a calm and quiet and peaceful set. I have to say, we, we all like each other very much, and uh, I think it shows in, in the work. Although I've only seen three episodes, it's, it's hard for me to watch myself. So. I am taking other people's word for it. That as long as it speaks to people, that's all I care about. Well, I can assure you it doesn't. And you and Tim have such great chemistry together. Uh, thank you. We, we're really good buddies. 
Uh, I've known Tim, gosh, oh, 40 years, something like that. We first did, uh, we worked together on a, a TV show, a TV series. It was an anthology series called Whatever Happened to the Class of 65. Mm. It was based on a book that Michael Medved, I think, co-wrote. Yes. In fact, I know he did. And um, so every week we, they would they would uh, tell the story of, a, of another person from the Class of 65 who had gone on to, to, you know, awful things or good things or whatever, sort of like the millionaire maybe from all those years ago. Um, but uh, so that was the first time Tim and I worked together, and uh, I had known him before that because he, he had done a movie with my then-boyfriend, Bruno Kirby. And um, then we worked together again right after I had my first uh, daughter. We did a, a show together. It was sort of a televised play called uh, The Best Legs in the Eighth Grade. And then we went our separate ways for a long time. So this is our, our, our third and, and uh, hopefully continued uh, collaboration. He, he's an awesome actor, but to work with him as a director, too, has been really a treat because I, I didn't know him as a director. And um, it's really fun to work with him because he directs, he acts and directs at the same time. And I, I'd never had that experience before, being directed by the other actor in the scene. And uh, it's really fun because he, he directs from the inside. So you just kind of, it's, it's like dancing. You know, I just follow along and, and he kind of sets the pace and uh, he's a great partner. We, we have a good time. And you've already filmed season two, right? We have. We just finished right before Christmas. And uh, it was nice because uh, last year we, we did get some time off for, for uh, in the first season for Christmas. But it, it's cold up in Vancouver and can get rainy and, you know, you're away from home and you just want to be home for the holidays. So this year they, they made sure we were all home in time for, to, to celebrate. So that was nice. We're talking with Annette O'Toole here on Downtown. Very excited that you'll be also playing the character of Louise in season two of Jim Carrey's terrific Showtime series, Kidding. I, I love that series. It is it's so dark and at times uncomfortable, but but so yeah. ultimately human. Can you tell us a little bit about your character? Um, you know, I'm, I, I they haven't told me what I'm supposed. <laughs> I'm so worried about Virgin River. They keep saying things I can and can't say about it. <laughs> so it's, it's made me paranoid about everything else I've done. Um, I uh, I don't know what I'm allowed to say about it except that I. I have had a lifelong crush on Frank Langella, <laughs> and so I got to do most of my scenes with Frank. I do work with Jim as well, but but Frank was an absolute delight. Um, I everything I had hoped he would be, he was, and more. He's just so much fun to work with. He's so conscientious. I mean, he, he just. He works so hard at what he does. He really wants, and that's why it looks effortless when he does it. Cause he pr prepares so so beautifully, and we just had a wonderful time. We we did a lot of really big scenes together, and uh, some were very poignant, and some were very funny. Um, I my part spread out over I think three episodes, and I, also it was shot right near my house in in L.A. I I haven't worked at home in such a long time. It's <laughs> delightful. So I could almost have walked there um, to Sony Pictures. And then we shot one night on location right around the corner from my house. And so we finished like at 2 in the morning. And I was going to walk home. And Michael said, you're not walking home. I don't care what, <laughs> how safe our neighborhood is. I'm going to be at you. So we sat outside. It was like my stage door, Johnny. He sat outside the uh, the location house where we were shooting and <laughs> waited for me. To, and he just <laughs> picked me up and zoomed me home. And that was it. It was really nice. Uh, and Jim was fantastic. And And also, I didn't really get to work with her. But Catherine Keener, oh, man, one she's of the great. nicest people 
I don't know if you've interviewed her. No, we haven't, but I'd love to. You you should. She is the sweetest, kindest. I got on the set, you know, they've been doing this show now for a year, and now they're they're way into their second season. And I walk on, and, you know, she just came to my dressing room. She hugged me. She said, I've always loved your work. Welcome. And it was, it was so wonderful because as many times as you do this, you know, you walk into a new situation with new people, it, it, it's not all that much easier. You know, you just feel like, oh, God, I'm the new kid. And uh, she couldn't have been sweeter. We have kind of a scene together where she's kind of in, you know, she's over there on the side, and you know, but we don't really interact. So um, I, I'm hoping for the day when that can happen. She, she's an awesome person. You also found the time to do an episode of The Good Doctor with friend of our show, Richard Schiff, that airs tonight. Oh, yes, yes. In fact, my very, I worked with Richard um, before in a, um, an independent film we did about ooh, five or six years ago. Um, oh gosh, no, it was longer than that. It was 2012. So, um, yeah, it was really fun to work with him again, and it all worked out in kind of a crazy way. The Good Doctor is my mother's favorite show. <laughs> she loves The Good Doctor, and all since it debuted, she said, if you could get on that show, that would be the most wonderful thing to happen. <laughs> so I kind of put the bug in the ear of my agent. I said, please, you know, if there's any, I, I would do anything. I'd do a walk-on. I'd, I'd be an extra if you could just, and I didn't know where the film shot, where the series shot. So I get up to Vancouver while we're doing Virgin River, and somebody said, oh, over there, that's where the, the, the good doctor shoots. I said, the good doctor <laughs> shoots up here? I said, oh, my God. So I went back uh, on Virgin River. We have a wonderful um, supervising producer from Netflix named Jocelyn Freed. And she, I, I just mentioned this to her. She said, I know the, one of the producers. I know all these people over there. So I'm going to make this happen because – Right before that, my mother fell and broke her hip. So she was recuperating. I'm flying back and forth. And, and so I, I really wanted it to happen to make her feel better, to kind of get her through her recovery. So it all came together. It was like magic, the way these people worked it all out, the ADs on each show, because we were working like in the same city at the same time. And it's the first time I've ever done that, where I've gone from one set to another at the same time. So there seems like they've been doing a showing the trailer where where I faint in the beginning. I meet my daughter, played by Fiona Goebbelman, um, who plays Morgan Resnick, and and we're meeting and embracing. And then I faint because I've got this thing that you'll find out about tonight if you watch it. <laughs> and um, and so I did that scene, and then went ran over to Virgin River and did a scene, and it was really fun. It was like acting summer camp, you know. It's just like how much can you do? How much exercise can you get? So that was fun, and everyone there was fantastic. I've been so lucky to work w with so many wonderful people, and especially this last year has been like heaven for me. I loved your work, too, and, and what I think is one of the best series of the last decade, Halt and Catch Fire. And I, I just wonder, oh. if, from your perspective, or, or, this golden age, new golden age of television, uh, the availability for great roles seems to be there now much more than it is in, in film. Absolutely. The, the writing on these shows is incredible. I've, we've been watching some lately that we're just staggered by, by the quality and the acting. and um, it, it's, it's really wonderful. And, and, you know, actors my age, and uh, or actresses especially my age, uh, have much more work there. You know, there, there's much more need for us because, you know, in film it's going to be Meryl or, you know, <laughs> Jessica Lang or Sally Field or, the, 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 you know, Annette Bening or the... the, the the a, a people and um 
what's nice here is that they just want the right actor for the for the part. And um, you can get caught, like I did for um, Kidding. They just called me up. I, I, I suddenly got a job on Kidding, and I hadn't even known about their, you know, that it was happening. So it was really wonderful and, and out of the blue. And it, I'm just, I feel, I feel so lucky to get to be still doing the thing I wanted to do since I was nine years old. We're talking with Annette O'Toole, and uh, Stephen King owns our radio station, so I have to ask you about your work in the, the King universe. Uh, you did 112263, <laughs> and of course, the miniseries It back in the day with uh, with right. a pretty talented uh, group of guys you got to work with. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. Talk about summer camp. I was the <laughs> only girl, you know, and all these boys, and they were all like, they were all so funny and so sweet. And even Tim Curry, you know, he was like one of us, too when he wasn't in the other trailer getting his makeup put on. Um, he was he was just one of the group. And we had a, a wonderful time together. It was really, really fun. We all had our kids up there. And um, we shot during the, I think it was during the spring and summer. And uh, it was just a blast. And it wasn't scary when we were doing it because it just wasn't. Uh, we knew it was supposed to be. And then you see it, and it's like, oh, my God, this is really creepy. And I couldn't let my kids see it, even though they were in <laughs> some of the scenes. <laughs> like when they're throwing popcorn at the movies, they're in that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have nothing but, but very happy memories of that time. And um, then eleven twenty two sixty three came out of the blue, and I, I was very excited about it. I hadn't read the book. I ran out and got it. And I realized that my character is really not in the book. She's sort of just a name of this woman who owns a boarding house or something. So I didn't have to do a lot of preparation. I could just kind of come up with something on my own, and I did, and it was fun. I still have not met Mr. King. I've never met Stephen King, and I would love to. He's certainly a, an idol of mine. And, um, you know, we, we got to leave some things for the future, I guess. <laughs> I know you were very close, and your families were very close, uh, you and, and Richard Thomas, and also uh, one of my favorite actors. And uh, We had Peter Bogdanovich on a while ago, and he was raving about how much he loved the work of John Ritter. Oh, yeah. John was something really special. Um, John and I worked, also worked together three times. We, we did, uh, before it, we did a movie called The Dreamer of Oz, a TV movie about L. Frank Baum. Uh, which is a wonderful movie. It's a really nice family film if people are looking for something like that. Um, and I play his wife, uh, Maud Baum. And um, so that's, and I had known him before. We kind of, you know, knew some of the same people. I'd see him around and stuff, but we'd never worked together until Dream of Oz. And then we, I was looping the Dream of Oz with him. And I said, what are you going to do next? And he said, oh, I'm going to do the Stephen King uh, uh, miniseries called It. I said, It? Oh, my God, it's one of my favorite books. And I said, who's going to play Beverly? And he just kind of looked at me. He said, they haven't cast Beverly yet. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> so um, I, don't, I don't even know if I said anything to my agent, but I think he said, he must have said something. And um, it just was magical, you know, that that all worked out. And then we did, uh, after that, we did um, Love Letters together. They were doing it at the Beverly Cannon Theater here, which I don't even think exists anymore in Beverly Hills. But it was, every week they would have a different cast of two people reading love letters. Oh, the, the A.R. Gurney play. piece? Yes. And so you never knew who was going to be there. Well, they would advertise it the week before. But I went and did that with him, and, and that was really fun, too. And then our kids went to school together um, out here in L.A. So I would see him at, we'd have these uh, school um, 
big events, fundraisers and things, and, and we'd all perform and do silly sketches and songs and snappy pattern. Um, so I would see him then. And uh, and his death hit me very, very hard. It was, it was really horrible. Um, and uh, I, his, I've seen his son since, who, was, uh, who played our son in uh, The Dreamer of Oz, uh, Jason. So, um, yeah, and, and Richard Thomas, you know, he, he and his girls and, and uh, his other kids, you know, we've all been close throughout the years. I see him all the time. He was in a play um, with my husband a couple of years ago. He was in The Little Foxes. In fact, right. uh, Richard was nominated for a Tony for that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the nice things about what I do. You know, you never really say goodbye to people you love. You, you just see them eventually down the road, you know, or you pass them at, a, at an event. And it's, it's very nice. I, I have a lot of really wonderful friends who I, I stay in contact with all the time. I have to ask you about the songwriting. And Michael told us a little bit of the story, but, but can you share uh, what happened when the song that became Potatoes in the Paddy Wagon came to you? Right. <laughs> Well, it was right after 9-11. It did not have a happy beginning. Uh, and I had, there were no planes. I was doing Smallville. There were no planes from Vancouver to um, Los Angeles. I mean, this was the next day. This was, well, maybe not the next day, maybe the 13th. So I drove back from Vancouver back home because I just wanted to be home. and I wasn't needed for a few days on the show. So I rented a car and drove back. And it took me mm, a day and a half, I guess. And so I got back, and the second I got back, they called and said, oh, we've changed the schedule, we need you. So I had to drive back. I had to get, literally that night get in the car and go back. So Michael said, oh, I'm going with you. So somewhere between Portland and Seattle, I started having this weird little melody in my head. And I said, what is this melody? I can't get it out of my head. Is this, am I making this up, or is it something I heard a long time ago? So I, I humped it for him. And he said, you're making that up. I've never heard that before. So we started putting kind of nonsense words to it to, to just remember it. Because at that point, we didn't have, this is, you know, 2001, we didn't have cell phones that you could record into. So um, just to remember it, we, we said, mm, da, da, dumb potatoes in the paddy wagon, blah, blah. <laughs> so from there, I said, I love that. Let's, we got to keep potatoes in the paddy wagon, but, but potato has to be a girl. That has to be her name. <laughs> so we just uh, we wrote most of it in the car, and then by the time we got to Vancouver, we uh, we finished it up, and we we came back and, and sang it for uh, Chris Guest, who was putting together all the music for a Mighty Wind, the, his, his film about folk music. And um, he really liked it and said, yeah, that's a great song for the new Main Street Singers. He said uh, to Michael later, would you write this signature song, Michael? Uh, and all the only thing it has to have is a kiss in it. It has to have, um, it has to end with a kiss. So Michael came home and said, "Do you want to write this song with me?" I said, "Yeah." So we sat down at the piano and and wrote the song in in, in about an hour. Um, yeah. So that's how that's how. And that was the song that that kind of became the the. There were many wonderful songs in the sh- in the movie and. Everybody contributed to that. Chris and Eugene and, and many Harry Shearer and many people. I think Harry went on that. And um, and that Kiss was was nominated. So that was that was lovely. It was really fun. And in one of the funniest films of all time, it also created <laughs> this beautiful, poignant moment. Yeah, the nice thing about about the song is it, it was really used in the film as a character. It was so important 
you know, that was the, the Mitch and Mickey's theme song. And it was all about will they kiss at the end because they've had this rift in their relationship. They've broken up and now they're together and they're not together personally. But will they, will, in the song, will they kiss? It's a big deal. And they talk about it the whole time. And um, so, yeah, it was nice to, to write a song that was, was meaningful in that way to the story and not just a song over the end credits. Mm. Right, before we let you go, I have to ask you, uh, what are you knitting these days? Oh, my God, I've got three projects going. I did all my Christmas knitting. So my girls, who both have birthdays in December, so not only Christmas, but two birthdays, and I, I make them each something for a birthday and for Christmas. So I had like four projects <laughs> going on. So I just got all that finished. Each one got a sweater and socks. So I just um, finished making a couple of uh, hats because I have a lot of leftover yarn, and I like to use it to make hats, and I donate them to whoever needs them and give them as presents. And I just finished a couple of neck scarves, and but most, now it's accessory, accessory time. January's accessory month. So that's what I'm doing. Thanks for asking, because knitting really is, is my co-pilot. Uh, check out Virgin River on Netflix with Annette O'Toole, Tim Matheson, Season 2 of Kidding coming soon to Showtime. Been a fan of your work for so many years. It's great to talk with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rich. I enjoyed it so much. That's Annette O'Toole here on Downtown. And, uh, boy, she enters that uh, that that special hall of, of people. And, well, look, we love all the guests we have, Carrie. But, you know, those people just seem right away uh, so open and upfront, willing to talk about anything and uh, no pretense at all. And, and that's that's the impression we got from Annette. Just directly launches into a conversation, and, mm. and that's what we'd like to have here. Yeah, she was wonderful. Uh, that was great. We've got more to come after we hear from our friends at Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer on the vanguard of that British invasion with the Beatles back in 1964. Dave Clark, coming up right after this. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Fifty-five years ago this week, that song burst onto the American charts, would eventually make it all the way to number six and sell a million copies for the Dave Clark Five, a group of boys from Tottenham, England, who would go on to have 15 consecutive top 20 hits and sell over 100 million records. Many of those great hits have been remastered and are available on a new collection called the Dave Clark Five, All the Hits. The man behind it, their drummer, their leader, their producer, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Dave Clark, who visited with us. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Rich. My pleasure has been uh, listening to this great music uh, and this brand new remastered edition. Uh, All the hits, the Dave Clark Five. It's been so great to hear that music sounding better than ever. And you, you went to the Abbey Road Studios, I understand, to remaster all these. 
yeah, because um, especially with vinyl, I'd never remastered vinyl since the last lot that came out in the 70s. The same as all the uh, acts, the Beatles and Stones, they were all vinyl in those early days. Yeah. I went back into Abbey Road, and I'm pleased with it, you know. Are, are you surprised and a little bit happy to see the, the evolution of technology through Oh, gosh, to cassettes and eight tracks and then to uh, CDs. And all of a sudden, we're back at vinyl once again. You're back to the beginning. Yeah, really. Yeah, no, uh, um, CDs uh, I liked because you could you could get perfection on those. Um, but um, the vinyl, I was surprised. Um, but it's great, you know. It's, it's, you know, music's good. It's universal and... You know, I've always said you hear a song and whether it was when you were a kid and your parents were alive or whatever, you know, until now. And it always, it's, it, it just, you just flash back on that moment in time. Why is it, though, that the DC5 songs hold up so well? You drop the needle or you hit that CD and, and I don't care how many times you've heard them. These songs sound as fresh as ever. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, time will tell, and I, uh, it surprised me, you know, for all of us, with the Beatles as well, that you didn't, none of us would have thought, you know, we thought two or three years, but not 50-odd years or so on, you know, it's um, it's more than a lifetime, and it's, it's wonderful that they stand the test of time. You had so many hits, over 100 million records sold, 15 straight top 20 hits here in the United States. How did you narrow down the selections for this a new album and the CD? It's hard to limit because you had so many great songs through the years. Yeah, no, it is hard. Um, you know, you just take down to what are the, the hits in America, especially the U.S., that... Um, would appeal to our American friends, our American fans, you know. You had 18 appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show here in the States. How important were those appearances to your success at selling records and selling out concerts? No question, no question. We came in um, really unknown. I mean, we had a hit record, but you're still visually unknown. You weren't seen on television. And to do the Sullivan Show... And I never heard of Ed Sullivan. I mean, we turned it down the first time because <laughs> we never got the show in England. Um, when we came in, um, you know, to do the show, um, I always remember ca coming in to Kennedy from Kennedy Airport to New York City. Um, I saw these billboards, and there was fabulous. And one of them was all palm trees, and it said. Montego Bay Island Paradise, and then we went in, did the Sullivan show, and at the end of the show, it went so well that he pulled us back on stage at the end and said, I'm holding them over in New York next week to top the bill again. Well, we were already booked in England. So um, at the end, I said, I'm very flattered, Mr. Sullivan, but we can't do it. We're already booked. And he said, but I've told 70 million American homes. I didn't know we had performed to 70 million people then. And um, he said, I'll buy it out. And without thinking, I said, well, I couldn't stay in New York for another week because we had had th three months in England with big hits. You couldn't go out. You were locked away. And we were really exhausted. So he said, where do you want to go? And I, 
I have flashback on the coming in to New York from Canada, and I said, Montego Bay. <laughs> it could have been the other side of the world, for all I knew. And he flew us all to Montego Bay, which is in Jamaica. Five days later, later we came back on the Saturday to rehearse the show, to do it on the Sunday, and there was over 30,000 people at Kennedy Airport. The power of television. <laughs> and they couldn't get us out. They had to fly us out by helicopter. We're talking with Dave Clark here on Downtown. You were ahead of the curve in so many areas, one of them being music videos, and, and you did some of those for the Sullivan Show. Uh, was that your, your background in, in film and your experience there that led you to create really a new art form? Thank you. No, I was always into film. I was a film extra, believe it or not, and a stuntman. Right. For, uh, I did over 40 films before the DC-5 broke. But if you sneeze, you'd miss me. <laughs> but I, the great thing about doing that is I watch good directors working. And I've always felt that the uh, it should be a combination of two things. And you can't be in every TV station around the world at the same time. Um, so you didn't have the internet or you didn't have satellite in those days so i decided to to um do a promotion on our first songs on our songs and in fact the first one we launched on the ed sullivan show because it was a live show but it was us water skiing to one of our hits and um that was well the, it was amazing for your first showing of a video you cut being going out to 70 million people. It was amazing. But the reaction was so good that I decided we would do that on the various records and then went on and so forth, you know. Um, and it was very successful. At those times, they were called promotion, and it was the start of music video. You were also very wise in holding the rights to your masters at a time when a lot of artists were being taken advantage of by record labels. So what enabled you to make that decision at such a young age? Well, I, I made the decision because we wanted to be responsible for our own creative artwork. Uh, um, we, we wanted to... I want to be able, We wanted to be able to choose our own songs and our own music and if it was successful, wonderful. If it wasn't, we, it's very easy to blame somebody else. Um, so that was a reason. And also, we were going to sign with a major record company, and the first thing they said to me is, you can't do your own songs, and this is what you've got to record and how you've got to record it. And I thought, that's not for us. You know, we, 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 we were very successful as a live band, and I wanted to get that sound on record. Unfortunately, we were able to do it by being independent. Well, it uh, certainly worked well, and you hear the results on this brand-new collection, All the Hits, the Dave Clark Five. It's available on uh, both vinyl and on CD. A wonderful collection. Dave, thank you so much. We wish you much success with the new album. Thank you. Appreciate it, Rich. Take care. That's Dave Clark here on Downtown the Podcast this week. Our thanks to Dave, and thanks to the wonderful Annette O'Toole as well. And, of course, thanks to Cross Insurance, our sponsor, on the podcast, Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And thanks for joining us this week. As always, we'll do it again next time, right here on Downtown.